Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Hello and welcome to the Money Nerds Podcast, where owning a calculator, budgeting your money, and having a net worth is actually cool. I'm your host, Whitney Hansen, and each week I'll be chatting with inspiring people to learn their secrets to financial success. Now let's dive into the show. Hey there, how are you? I hope you're having a great week and hopefully quarantine is treating you well. I know I'm trying to start to get into a routine of just working out every single day and not wanting to bury my face in carbs because I'm not going to lie, you guys, that's like 100% what I want to do right now. So everything's going well. Everything will be just fine. And you know, the good thing is we're all in this together. Today's episode was really fun for me. It was a previous um, interview that I did a little while back with a gal named Monica Shaw. And it was really fun because we were talking about five steps to generating more money as a business owner. But the stuff that Monica shared in this episode, I thought it was so interesting because it applies to all of us in some capacity. So whether you run a business or you don't, I promise you're going to learn something today. So let's go ahead and dive into Monica's background so you can see what a rock star she is. She's a seven-figure business coach who helps entrepreneurs build businesses that support their ideal lifestyles. After receiving her MBA from Kellogg School of Management and working in marketing for L'Oreal Paris, Monica left the corporate life to start her first company, and then her second with her intuition and healing abilities to help her clients get unstuck, eliminate self-sabotage, and move through fear. This is why I was saying you're going to enjoy this episode so much. We dive into a ton of different topics, but a lot of stuff that's very relatable, specifically how Monica came to the understanding that loving your work is everything. We talk about how she made that transition from nine to five employee in the corporate world to full-time in her business, identifiable steps to begin growing in your business. I thought this was really interesting. One of my favorite conversations was overcoming a fear of speaking. I used to have this fear of speaking too. So I loved hearing how she recommends people overcome that. We talk about a breakdown that Monica had on a New York subway staircase and it started to shift her entire life for her. We talk about five steps to generate money and tips for running a business from a place of strategy rather than emotion. I think you guys are going to love this episode. If you've ever wanted to start a business or even just a side hustle and see where it can lead, this is for sure the episode for you. I'm so excited to introduce you to Monica Shaw from revenuebreakthrough.com. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. Today I'm joined by my new friend, Monica Shaw. Monica, thank you so much for hanging out. I'm so excited to be here. Well, likewise, I'm really excited to chat with you. So you have a lot of really fun pieces in the work. So tell us all, how do you introduce yourself to strangers? 
<laughs> um, I help women entrepreneurs be able to double their incomes. So I teach money, I teach marketing, I teach sales. And my mission on the planet is to be able to change the money conversation so we can start making money decisions, not just from our bank accounts, from but from our hearts and what we actually really want to be doing. Oh, amen to that, which I know dives into a ton of mindset. So we'll talk a little bit about mindset as well. But how did you get into what you're doing today? So it started back in the day when I, I graduated from business school. I had my MBA from the Kellogg School of Management. And then I went and I did marketing for L'Oreal Paris. And it was interesting because as I was doing this, was working at L'Oreal, there was a particular moment where the plant broke down, like something in the plant broke down and we were launching a new moisturizer. So we had to go out and pick out a new moisturizer bottle in order to fulfill our orders. And so I went to Nordstrom that day and a bunch of the department stores and picked up a bunch of bottles so that we could have something to copy from. And I picked up bottle after bottle after bottle and I would take a bottle, I would dump out the lotion in the bottle and then it was and then look at the bottle. So it was about 3 a.m. and it would have been a long day and I'm sitting across from my boss and I'm taking a lotion bottle and then I'm dumping it out and then we're both looking at it. And then I'm picking up the next lotion bottle and we're dumping it out and then we're both looking at it and analyzing it. And she looks at me and she goes, is this not the most fun thing that you have ever done? <laughs> and I thought like we had entered the twilight zone or something. I was like, I... I and then I thought she was joking and I looked at her and she was very serious. Like she was having the time of her life and I wasn't. And I got really clear that I needed to figure something out that I, where I could enjoy the work as much as she was. And it turned out that she actually became one of the youngest people at the company to climb the corporate ladder as quickly as she did. Wow. And, uh, and that she really was well loved there because of her passion and because of her joy and what she did. And I just really got clear that I wanted to do something like that too. And that's when, uh, when I left L'Oreal and I started coaching, uh, I really started to understand that there's, um, that there's so much, you can actually be passionate about what you're doing, even if it's not like every aspect of the job, but really just like loving, um, your why and loving being able to go after that. I love this. So you started off, you were working your full-time job and did you start coaching on the side before you quit? How did, how did you make that leap? Um, I did a lot of training on the side before I quit, um, you know, like taking programs like a, a business training program and a coach training program. Um, and then it was really when I quit that I started my first uh, coaching practice. And I, I first started doing health and life balance consulting um, and started there. And it was really fun. Did that for about five years and then switched into helping people build their businesses, namely because whenever I did the health coaching with people, they would be like, okay, great. Like now can you help me build my business? And I mm. never really understood why they were asking that. Um, but then I really got that that's just what I'm supposed to be doing on the planet is, is helping women make more money. That's so cool. And I like that you did it for five years too. So it's like you almost had that proof of concept, like this actually does work. And yes, I can help you. I think that's yeah. so cool. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the things where now today, I uh, everything that I tell my clients to do, I actually did it. Yeah. You know, and it's not about like, 
oh, I think you should do this because, you know, this is how one grows a business. It's like, you know, this is what I did. And then now I've got so many businesses under my belt in terms of helping other, helping and showing other people what, what they can be doing. Yeah, I think that's so important too. I've got to ask, when you were younger, did you ever anticipate yourself owning your own business? I did, and I, I, I did because my own business. So I uh, watched my dad be able to do things like leave work at 3 o'clock and come to my tennis matches and really kind of decide when he was going to and those were things that I knew I wanted at a, from a very young age. I just didn't know when it was going to happen and what I was going to do and how it was all going to evolve and pan out. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Okay. So I'm always curious too. I think childhood has so much of an impact on how we view money. So how was money talked about when you were a kid? <laughs> Funny because that's a question that I often ask in my seminars. And, and, and for me um, – it was interesting because I had two different perspectives. Uh, my mom and dad grew up in India, and they came to this country when they were in their 20s and 30s. And uh, they, so they didn't have a lot of money. They built everything from you know when they came here. My mom didn't work, um, but my dad did. And my mom always had sort of a scarcity mindset around money, even though it wasn't like she always had this, this sort of, she would always say things like, you know, money, um, money doesn't grow on trees and we can't, and we, we, we may run out of it and you have to be very careful with the decisions you make around money. Um, and she was always like pinching pennies and watching every dollar, which was good because it taught me definitely to have a respect for money. Um, but it also sort of, uh, engaged in me a fear that it was going to run out or that I was going to make the wrong decisions with it. Whereas my dad was, he was making the money. He was always very generous with his money, with us, with the community, with the world at large. Um, and he and he's very good with it. And so from that perspective, he always talked about, like, spend the money you make, enjoy the money you make, help people with the money you make. And that's something that um, I do today. You know, it's one of the, the reasons why I don't have fears around money um, and making it and spending it and being generous with it and investing in myself because I really watched my dad invest and spend and give the money that he made and he kept making more and more of it. That's so cool. I like that you had both of the balances there too. It sounds like that was a really good combination. Yeah. Yeah, it was. So with your business, you initially were doing the trainings, you're working a full-time job, you're kind of dreaming of doing your own coaching, which I think a lot of people can relate to where we have this idea of this one little, this little thing, this gut feeling that this would be so cool, but we're often really scared to make that leap. Do you have any tips for entrepreneurs on how they can at least get their financial life set up so that it's not such a big burden on their financial life potentially? Um, in terms of getting their financial life set up in terms of being able to start a business or yeah. in general? Yeah, exactly the case. And make that transition from full-time job to a full-time entrepreneur. Yeah, you know, it's it's a great question because um, I don't always recommend doing it the way that I did it because I left cold turkey, right? So I I didn't actually have a plan for a money plan for what I was going to do when I left. And because I didn't have a money plan for what I was going to do when I left, um, I was really 
kind of terrified and traumatized <laughs> by um, being by having to pay all my bills and trying to build my business. And the truth is, if you're building a a a service business, it is very difficult to build up a service business in like it it enough for you to live on full time in a year, oh, yeah. right? Because service businesses by the very nature of the fact that you are selling yourself, require you to build a tribe and require you to build connections and require you to uh, get known both offline and online. So that takes a minimum of 12 months and you really start to see the traction starting to happen at you know in your second year and in your third year, which means that in that first year, you have to live off of something. And nobody told me that. Uh, so therefore, after three months of trying to hustle to figure it out, I actually went back and got a job and I worked full time. Um, and when I went back and got a job, I actually worked, I literally told, I worked as a consultant um, for MTV, for Viacom. Okay. And I told the woman at the interview, I said, you know, I'm starting a company I don't, I'm not really in this to climb the ladder. I'm in this because I have to have something else. And she was really okay with that because she didn't have the budget to be able to hire me full time anyway, or have me climb the ladder. So we worked really well together in that way. And, um, and I ended up working full time, I think for nine months, part time for about four months before I could really shift into my job or I'm sorry, into my business full time. Mm -hmm. And so if I were going to give advice to people, I would say, um, first of all, know that there, that you want to explore what you want to do while you have your job. Um, and now there is a legality of sort of starting a side hustle on the side of having a job, but as long as you're doing it um, and it's not, you know, it's not, it's not this obviously that you're doing for your, then you should be okay with like um, at the very least really doing some explorations. If you're not comfortable charging for it, um, that's fine. Don't charge for it, but explore what you want to do. And then what I would also recommend is do the training while you have money coming in. Yeah. So go get your business training, go get your speaking training, go get your certification training, like do all of that while you have money coming in so that you feel like you're really well equipped to be able to leave. And then when you're thinking about leaving, you want to make sure that you pick a date by which you want to leave so that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And it also gives you the encouragement to really hustle, you know, between now and when you want to leave. And then also make a goal for how much money you want to save. And I would recommend that you have at least three months of living expenses, ideally more like six months of living expenses uh, saved, living expenses plus your estimated business expenses, yeah. I should say, um, saved so that you don't feel the pressure of having to like get off the ground and make revenue immediately. Um, and then the other piece uh, to keep in mind is uh, really make sure that when you do have a clear idea of what this new business is going to be or what your new side hustle is going to be, um, one thing that people really struggle with is like having the time to do both, right? Having yeah. a time to have the full-time job and then to start your business on the side. And I, one of the things that I did uh, was something that I call sacred space, which is that I worked, you know, I did the full-time job from say nine to five. And then every day I came home and I, not every day, but I think like 
Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I came home and worked from five to eight. And then Saturday and Sunday, I worked half days on Saturday and Sunday. And that was how I was able to keep it all together. Oh, that's cool. And, um, and so you want to have like sacred space in your calendar for both. Sacred space for your full-time job, sacred space for your side hustle or for your business that you're starting. And that does not shift. So if I have a friend, I remember this being frustrating, but really awesome, who said like, I want you to come to dinner with me on Tuesday night. Like the answer was no, because I was working on Tuesday night. Um, And if she wanted to go to brunch on Saturday, the answer was, well, we can do dinner, but I can't do brunch because I work on Saturday. And that made the boundaries really clear. And it also gave my business a chance and a place to really grow and to, and to sprout and to take wing. And what I find when I talk to my clients who have full-time jobs is that they're not creating the sacred space for their business. And so they're wondering why their business isn't growing. And the truth is, is, is that it's exhausting. Like you're working two jobs, you know, you're working crazy hours to make that happen. And it is a sacrifice for sure. But the very definition of sacrifice is giving up something of a lower nature so that you can have something of a higher nature. So you might be giving up time and freedom and space for you know, a couple months or a year while you're trying to get that thing of a higher nature, which is building a business that you're more passionate about. Oh, I love this conversation, Monica. This is so, so good. And I couldn't agree with you more. I love the concept of the sacred space and how important that is. One of the things, too, that I I know when I was an early stage entrepreneur, I used to think that being busy meant I was also being productive or producing revenue generating stuff. Do you have any tips for somebody that's maybe the first one to two years of business? And let's assume it's a service based business. What sh- what's kind of, what's this what should we actually be working on? What are the steps that actually generate and grow your business? Yeah, it's it can be so confusing because you wake up every day and there's like seventeen thousand things that are waving <laughs> right. at you, um, you know, including things like doing your laundry and taking your dog for a walk, <laughs> right? That that probably have no place for the middle of a work day, but can be very tempting. Yep. Uh, and so, one of the things that I really Um, suggest that people do is that they focus on uh, every single morning. The first thing you do when you wake up is do your three revenue generating activities. Now what the three revenue generating activities are, or it will be dependent on what's on your to-do list, but generally defining what a revenue generating activity is, is is important. So um, the, the number one revenue generating activity is a sales conversation. And a sales conversation is defined as asking one person or many people for money. Like, And it is not a connection conversation. A connection conversation is when you're just connecting with someone, but the topic of buying and how much something is never comes up in that conversation. And I recommend that all business owners are doing at least three sales conversations a week in order to make sure that their business is continuously growing and in order to make sure that they hit their sales numbers. Now, the thing that's interesting about those sales conversations is the next question people always ask me is, but Monica, like, well, how do I get more of those sales conversations? You know, because like, that's great. Now I know I need to do them, but where do I get them from? And I go through um, nine different revenue generating activities that generate sales conversations um, in my money making marketing calendar, which um, I'll tell you how to get. Uh, But the top three 
from there are number one is speaking. Generating sales conversations from speaking is 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 easy and fun and has a really high conversion rate. Number two is doing sponsorship. So a sponsorship is where you pay for a table um, in, at an event, at somebody's event, and you can connect with their people and set up sales conversations that way. And number three is doing a webinar. And a webinar, I will say that a webinar has the caveat of the fact that you have to have a list of at least a 1,000 for a webinar to be suited to you and to actually work. Uh, But what's interesting about all three of those things are they're they're what I call one-to-many acts, which is getting yourself in front of people that are in your target market and asking them to set up a conversation with you and then ultimately to buy from you. Love this. This is so good. So everybody listening in, actually exactly what Monica's talking about when I launched my business, my financial coaching business, this is exactly what I was working through too. It was webinars. It was speaking. It was being so uncomfortable. So I appreciate you sharing this because these are all simple in theory, but hard in practice. So for you personally, was it? did you struggle with any one of those three things that were maybe just a little bit more difficult for you? Yeah. So... I mean, I, you know, I paused because I feel like I struggled with all of them in some way, shape, or form, um, you know, because they all have a different learning curve. And that's what's really important is that each of those skills that I just shared with you could take a year or more to really learn and get good at. So they're not like overnight situations. But I guess the one that I would talk about is speaking because I am a full on introvert. Um, I love silence. I love being home alone. I love being with one or two friends. I don't like being in the spotlight and I don't like stages and I don't like the front of the room. And uh, I remember when I first started this work, I did, a, I, you know, it was part of my, of my growth of my business that I did one day events and two day events and three day events. And then I did small talks in front of people. And uh, it, it, you know, what I didn't realize at the time was that part of the reason I was so uncomfortable is because in addition to me being an introvert, I'm also a healer and an empath, um, and a bit psychic, which means that when I'm in, and I think the reason I'm saying this is because I think many listeners might relate to this. When I'm in front of a room, I feel everything. So if I'm taking someone on a journey, like a story that's emotional, I feel everybody's emotions. If I'm taking some people to a place where we're talking about numbers and it's scary, I feel everybody's fear. And because of that, it made being like, I would try to block it when I was in the front of a room and it made it very uncomfortable. And when I finally learned that I'm an empath and that it's okay to be, and not only that, that feeling people's energy is a good thing and that I could actually work with the room. So if I felt fear, I could bring the fear down by talking to the room. If I felt um, uh, emotion like sadness, I could talk to the room about what they were sad about. And it actually helped me to become a really good speaker because I, I transformed that feeling like I had to block it into total resonance and being able to resonate with the room. Um, and that actually really turned the tide for me to become a better speaker. Um, and now, you know, I just finished a speaking tour in four different cities where I did, um, 17 different talks. Um, and, um, and I do three day events where there's 200 people there. And I do, I mean, we do, you know, something like 30 to 40 speaking events a year now of all different sizes. So I really, I love it now. It's still, 
not easy, right? Like I'm still an introvert and I still get nervous and I still get irritated when I have to leave my home. But I've found the real love and connection that can be a part of it. So, uh, and, and it really just came from knowing myself on a deep level and really learning how to practice. And today, you know, I, I teach a class called Speaking Masterclass, which is where I teach women to really be able to hone their own skills, like whatever superpowers you have, and then be able to use them in front of a room. And it's so funny because, like, I just never would have guessed that I would be teaching speaking, you know, years later right. after getting my own, over my own fear of it. That is so cool. I like to hear that you were able to embrace that fear, maybe not completely overcome it, but lean into it more and not be so intimidated by it. That's super, super interesting. So with your own business, I know that part of the business challenges can be funding your growth or funding some of your experiments and just trying some new things out in your business. So a lot of business owners turn to debt in order to help fund their growth. Did you experience any of that at any point in your business? Sure, absolutely. I I believe in debt to fund a a business. However, where debt can go awry is if you don't feel like you know how to pay it off. Yeah. And so within about 12 months of starting my first business, I actually had accumulated $25,000 in debt. And it was really scary because you know, you have to have money from somewhere to start a business. So either a business loan or a family loan or credit card. So there's nothing wrong with that. But I was starting to get worried because I just wasn't seeing how I was going to pay off this mountain of debt that I had accumulated. And it got to the point where I was doing everything I could to possibly generate money for my business. I was dog walking and cat sitting and selling stuff on eBay and doing focus groups and doing everything I could. And and there was a particular week where I had rented my apartment out for seven days um, in a row on Airbnb. And I had stayed in one person's couch for three days and another person's couch for three days and someone else's floor for four days. And I packed all my stuff up and I got into the subway and I got off the subway and it was the BDFQ on 63rd Street. And I had two bags on one arm and two bags on another arm and a bag across my chest and a roller bag that I was carrying. I start walking up the subway stairs and you know how nice New Yorkers are. They're like rushing by me and they're (laughs) knocking the bags off and the roller bags getting knocked off. And I finally get to the top of the stairs and I had picked that stop because it had an elevator and an escalator. And I looked and the escalator was closed No, and, and the elevator was closed as well that day. And I looked in front of me, and there was literally four more flights of stairs for me to get to street level. It was miserable. And I just had this (laughs) moment where I, like, put down my bag, and I did the unthinkable in New York, which is that I sat down on the New York subway. (laughs) Which, you know you've hit rock bottom when you sit down on a New York subway (laughs) floor. And there I am, like, in this sort of jumbled mess on top of my bags, and all the New Yorkers are, like, it's totally staring at me, but trying not to look at me. (laughs) And I'm, like, crying, and I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do, because it was very clear that I couldn't continue in this way, that I had to figure out how I was going to pay all this debt off, and um, and that I had to, uh, and if I didn't, I had to go back and get a job. 
And so I hired business coaches and I hired marketing experts and I talked to my dad who sold his company when I was in college and I talked to my friends from business school. And what I got really clear on was that I was doing everything in the wrong order Mm. and I was working twice as hard as I needed to be and making half as much money as I could be. And it's because I was sort of playing Russian roulette with my marketing. Like I would go out to somebody and they'd say, oh, I'm doing videos. And then I would do videos. And then I would go out with somebody else and they'd say, I'm writing a book. And then I would go write five chapters of a book. And it was just like I was trying everything with no real strategy behind it and no real concept about the activities that actually generate money. Oh, that is uh, so good. So and, and, yeah, go ahead. I was I was going to say, because I, I can already hear people screaming at me like, why didn't you ask her this? So yes, then what 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 is the right strategies? What were the right steps for you? Yeah, it, it was interesting because what I got clear on is that, first of all, nobody, nobody out there, what, everybody was teaching tactics and tips and, yeah. and um, little things to make, like make money, do this, like do go do a video series or go build a funnel or go, you know, make yeah. a podcast or go write a book. And, you know, I think it's worse today than it was then because today we've got so many more channels of information out there that you're being even more inundated with this tactic and that tactic and promising that that one tactic is going to make all the difference. But really, it's it's not a specific tactic that's going to generate money. Like what I got clear on is that there's really five steps to generate money. The first one is that you have to first shift shift your relationship with money. So I was really scared of money. I didn't look at it. I avoided it. Anything that was outside of my comfort zone, I let pile up. I didn't pay my bills on time. I wasn't tracking my numbers. And because of that, um, I wasn't really aware of what I needed to be doing to generate money. Um, and so I had these voices in my head that I call money voices that were that were like, you know, I'm I'm not good with money or I don't look at money. And because of that, I didn't you know, I don't really I didn't really know the truth about my business, nor was I willing to do the harder things like sales conversations and raising my prices and asking for money and things that really need to happen in business. So that was the first piece is I is is that you have to shift your money voices first. First you have to become aware of what your money voices are, which is why I laughed when you asked me the question, you know, what did they what did your parents say about money when you were growing up? Because that's one of the questions I ask people to have them become aware of what their money voices are and what voices are dictating their actions and dictating what they're doing. It's important. Um, and then the second step after that, once you've created new money voices um, and you're aware of your old ones, is to focus on revenue generating activities. Um, and we talked about that, mm-hmm. the main one being sales conversations and then the activities that generate that. Step number three is to track your numbers. Uh, so things like revenue, conversion rates, expenses, uh, what's working for you, what's not working for you when you go to marketing events, when you do sponsorships. And the tracking the numbers piece isn't to make things hard, right? It actually makes life easier when you track your numbers because most of us are running our businesses um, emotionally. I call it emotional business management. And what that means is that when we don't get something, we just go into an emotional beating ourselves up. I'm not good enough. 
I didn't work hard enough. I don't deserve this. I'm not worthy. But when we go into running our business by the numbers, we can actually say things like, oh, I only did two sales conversations this month. There, you know, it, there would be no, like, I need to do more in order for me to hit my client numbers, yeah. right? Or I need to have, or I did 10 sales conversations and only one of them signed with me, which means I need to improve my sales skills. Um, and so suddenly you start running your business from a strategic place instead of an emotional place. And it is so much easier to run a business from a strategic and a numbers place. And I spend a lot of time with my clients, um, really reviewing like with them, okay, let's talk about the numbers. Let's look at the numbers. Let's move out of, I can and I can't. Let's move into the actuality of what happened and what needs to shift for you to get to where you want to go. And it makes a huge difference in their ease and their grace and their ability to improve without beating themselves up um, in the process. And then step number four um, is what I call having a dynamic plan. And what I mean by dynamic planning is that a lot of us are very into planning in January, but then we never really look at the plan again, or we abandon the plan as soon as it stops working. Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) And so one of the things that I've gotten really clear on is the journey of business, most of your learning and your joy, actually, if you allow it, is going to come from assessment and reflection along the way. So planning is, uh, is a, is a, the, the thing about planning is that it needs to be done. What it needs to be looked at is a projection that constantly changes. Um, And so one of the things I recommend, you know, just from a planning perspective is that people remember the 90 day rule and the 90 day rule is that anything that you are doing in your business or for your, you know, to make money right now, any networking you're doing or speaking or selling that you're doing um, or connecting often will not turn into results. Now they will turn into results 90 days from now. So it it really speaks to consistency. There's also the flip of that rule, which is that if you, if it's April and you're not making money in, um, in April, chances are that you don't have a problem now that, that you actually weren't marketing enough, uh, in February because that was, that was 90 days before April. So So it's about really like connecting the fact that consistent marketing, um, is going to lead to consistent revenue. And that really has to do with planning. I love this. And then step five. And step five is rinse and repeat. And uh, so the reason I say rinse and repeat is it it, it really kind of covers a whole gamut of things that I teach. But one of them is that focus, focus in on one business, focus in on one activity, you know, I always say you have three goals per quarter that you're really working towards. Don't try to do everything. Don't try to be everything. Um, and remember that mastery is developed over time through doing something over and over and over again. And I just find that many entrepreneurs uh, or folks that are trying to learn you know, a new skill or get into entrepreneurship, they just give up too soon. You know, People ask me a lot how how did I get to be such a confident speaker? And it's really because I have done 
hundreds and hundreds of talks of all different sizes of every nature by this point mm -hmm. so that I can do it really comfortably. And that's really what is required is rinse and repeat on every level. I love this conversation, Monica. I think it's so important. And I know we're talking a lot about entrepreneurs and business owners and people that are doing their own thing, but this applies to everybody. I mean, I'm going through these steps and I can immediately see how that would be helpful even as a nine to five employee. Like this is all very relevant stuff to any area of your life. I think this is so important. And I have to ask too, because you did mention the marketing calendar, which I presume would go in line with a lot of these steps in the revenue generating activities. So where, where do people go to get their hands on that calendar? Yeah, it is a, it, we call it the money-making marketing calendar. It contains the nine revenue generating activities. It's outlined for you so that you know what they are exactly how often to do them and when to do them. And then there's also a blank portion of the calendar so that you can put in your own marketing activities and then use it as accountability for yourself to come back and see how many you've done. So it's a really amazing tool and you can get it at revenuebreakthrough.com front slash calendar, revenuebreakthrough.com front slash calendar. I love it. Monica, thank you so much for your time. Before we officially part ways, are you down for some rapid fire questions? Sure. All right. First question for you. What is one purchase you recently made that has made your life better? Uh, an iPad mini. I got a new one and I love being able to read whatever book I want on the plane. Sweet. I like it. Okay. Next question for you. I personally am obsessed with people's morning routines. So what is your current morning routine? So first, I don't have one that stays consistent all the time, but there are certain activities that do stay consistent in the routine. And one is that I go for a run. I do a 30-minute run walk in the park, or, um, and then I also do 20 minutes of meditation. And I, I like to use the Headspace app, which is on your phone, to do meditations too. I really enjoy that. Oh, very cool. Okay, so next question for you. Where is one location that you're dying to travel to? You know, my husband and I were just talking about this yesterday. And one of them, well, I have two. One is Portugal, um, because I've heard so many beautiful, amazing things about that country. And then the second is Kerala in India, because it's a highly spiritual location in the south of India that I haven't been able to get to yet. Oh, so cool. Are you by chance doing any of those trips in the next year or two? We're thinking about it. So we were actually debating on um, maybe doing Portugal in the fall and perhaps Kerala um, sometime in the summer, either this year or next year. Oh, that'd be so cool. I'm excited to hear about the trip. So when you go, make sure you send me an email. Let me know how they went. I will do that. All right. My last question for you is, in your opinion, what is the secret to financial success? I think the secret to financial success is being able to, I would say, finding a mentor. You know, when I look at what has really contributed to my financial success, it has been finding a mentor who's making the kind of money you want to make someday 
So, and who's at least 10 to 100 steps ahead of you in doing that. And then listening to that person uh, and doing what they say, which ultimately means that you are going to need to leave your, leave your comfort zone um, in order to take actions that are uncomfortable. I love that answer. Monica, thank you so much for hanging out. It was truly a pleasure getting to know you. Oh, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to be able to talk about money. It's my favorite thing to talk about. You and me both, my friend. I'm sure we'll do this again soon. So thank you again. Okay, what'd you guys think? I love this episode. I thought it was so interesting to hear just her philosophy on business and how I don't necessarily agree with every pointer that she mentioned. Like I'm not personally a debt kind of person for business, but I can understand why it can work for some people. So I don't ever want to have a blanket statement and say it's all bad or it's all good. I always want you to decide what's best for your own life and make that decision for you. But I thought it was a really great episode and I'd love to hear from you. If you enjoyed this episode, take a screenshot. Let me know that you're listening in and make sure you leave a review. It means the world to me and it really does help the show get in front of more people. All right, that is it for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, share it with one person that you care about. That is the greatest compliment you can give this show is by sharing it with somebody that you know, like, and trust. It means the world to me. All right, I will see you on Friday for Five Tip Friday or next week for another episode of the Money Nerds Podcast. Bye. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.